Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. Thank God for 1 Peter. Have you been getting something out of 1 Peter? Amen. You have? Good. Now, Wednesday night, some of you have been with us for the last few months on a Wednesday night, so you know where we're coming from. Some of you just, just hooking in right now. And I want to tell you, I want to do this in my, the best way I can, and, and ultimately it's the Holy Spirit teaching tonight, and thank God He can use people like me and people like you. And so tonight we're going to pray that even if you, you come in to this Wednesday night service with no clue, or even if you, if you say, I, I don't know how this connects to me, we're going to pray that God opens your eyes, opens your ears, and opens your heart, that you would see, hear, and understand everything He wants for you to receive tonight. So let's pray and let's ask God to do that for us. Father, we thank you that you have made known the deep things even to simple people. Lord, you have made known incredibly wise things to people who didn't even have an education. Lord, you have, you have chosen to, to expose and to manifest your wisdom to people, uh, just, just human beings like us. We realize that some of your, that your truths, your revelation is too great for a human mind to come up with on their own. So we're asking you tonight that you'd open our eyes so that we could see what you want us to see. You'd open up our ears, so that even, even as I'm preaching, that, that people would hear your Holy Spirit talking to them. You'd open up our hearts that we'd begin to understand things that we haven't understood before, that we'd understand things in your word that have been hidden from the, the wisest of the wise. Lord, just as you revealed the, the meaning of the parables to your disciples, we're asking you to unveil your word to us tonight. We don't want to receive it with the old religious mindset. We don't want to receive it purely out of tradition. We want to hear it as a fresh word from God that gives life to our beings, life to our relationships, life to everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. First Peter 4. Now, if you've been following with us in First Peter, you know this is not a... Um, it's, it's not the easiest of books. What I mean by that, I don't mean it's not easy to read. I mean it's, it's coming at a time where the church is under some pressure. And you, you know as well as I do that the God who is with you when it seems like things are smooth is the same God who is with you when there's pressure. And you have been built, you have been created to not only sustain, that pre- sustain under pressure, but to thrive. The Lord has created you for such a time as this. You were brought into the kingdom at this moment in this place. How blessed are we? And I, 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 we couldn't have, couldn't have done anything to deserve it because, you know, he chose us before we were born. But how blessed are we to be born, not only on this side of the cross, but to be born in these days where God is pouring out his spirit on all mankind, where, where sons and daughters are prophesying, where old men are dreaming, dream, dreaming dreams and young men are seeing visions. How blessed are we to see God's glory in these days? So in that, we understand that not, in the last days, there's not only great glory, there's also some trouble. And uh, it's because the world is in this state of rebellion. The world has rebelled against God. You were in rebellion against God, weren't you? But you came back and, and you surrendered. We sang that song, I Surrender. People who surrender kind of, you know, that's, that's, that's requiring you to lay something down and, and to live differently than everyone else, to say, Lord, I'm giving you all that I have. The world doesn't think that way. And right now, just like when Jesus walked the earth, just like when the apostles are walking the earth, right now there is a great, uh, there's persecution all over the world. Uh, the church is facing it. And maybe you face it on some degree. Now, I know we look at, at the, the saints in, in Korea. We look at the in North Korea. We look at the saints in China. We look at the saints in Africa, in, in Northern Africa. We look at the saints in, Middle, in the Middle East and we say, there's nothing I'm going through that compares to what they're going through. And that's somewhat true. But you have to know that the same, same God that is with them in that is with you even in the smallest of trials, even in the smallest of persecution. Whether or not you're facing what they're facing, we do have Christians today that are backing down because they feel the pressure of not being accepted. We have Christians that are backing off of what they believe because they don't want to bear the shame 
that is associated with holding God's worldview. And I tell you, we've all been tempted with that, haven't we? I mean, let's just be honest. Now, some of you, some of you just don't give a rip what people think about you. And that's a wonderful thing. <laughs> Brother Blaine's lifting his hands. That's a great deal. Most of you at some point have had to deal with that in your life, though. You've had to deal with, uh, who do I want to please more? And uh, the people's opinions that are biggest to you, they're the ones you're going to bow down to. They're the ones you're going to, to kowtow to. They're the ones you're going to tailor uh, what you say and what you do to. So if God is biggest in our hearts and our minds, if Jesus is biggest to us, if we're aware of him more than we're aware of anything else, then we'll seek to please him. But if our biggest awareness in life is what other people think about us, then we'll seek to please them. Paul said this very clearly in in the book of Galatians. He said, if I was trying to please people, I couldn't be a bondservant of Christ. You have to come to that conclusion early in your Christian walk that if you want to serve Jesus, you can't try to please people all the time. Now, the same scripture tells us that we should seek to please others and not just ourselves, right? So how do those two things go together? Well, one is talking about serving others, right? Just like Jesus did. He washed people's feet. He, 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 he served those that should have been serving him. One is talking about serving others. We're seeking to please others and not just ourselves. That means I lay down myself on, on your behalf. I'm, I'm treating you as if you're better than me because uh, that's how Jesus did for me. But that doesn't mean that I compromise pleasing him to please you. I can't do that. You can't do that. We weren't created for that. Ultimately, he's right. And I, I know that that sounds simple, but I remember as a teenager asking God all these questions like, God, why is this the way you do it? And, and why is this right and this wrong? It seems like this thing that you call wrong isn't causing any harm. And I wanted God to just show me step by step why every single thing he ever said, don't do this. And I wanted him to go point by point and show me how this is why I said that. This is why I did that. And you know what? I know he has a reason. But the arrogance is that assuming that I could understand every reason he has and that I could stand in front of the creator of all the universe and tell him what's right and tell him what's wrong and make him prove to me that he's right. I came to this moment, I remember as a teenager, I just came to this, and you, hopefully you came to this a long time ago. But as a teenager, I looked up at the sky and I said, God, you're right. And I know that sounds incredibly simple. And you're saying, well, of course, Jonathan, he's right. But I wanted him to prove why he was right. And I just looked to God and I said, you're right. I might not even understand why. I might not even know the reason. I'm just going to acknowledge straight away, you're right. That'll clear up a whole lot for you right away. Why don't you just say, God's right. And he's right and he, he is love. So anything he says to do, anything he says not to do, whether or not you get why he's saying it, he's doing it because he loves you. And it may take you till you get to heaven to figure out why. I mean, can you imagine a two-year-old coming back to you and saying, why can't I play in the street? Well, because there's cars coming. But why don't, you know, and, and, and there's just some things you have to say, the dreaded phrase that no parent wants to say, because I said so. And maybe when they're a teenager, they'll get that. But when they're a two-year-old, there are things you have to tell them that they can't comprehend yet. Do you realize how much, how, how massively, infinitely more intelligent God is than us? And he made us. He's the one that created us. He's the one that's got the owner's manual in his back pocket. He knows why he says what he says. If we would just start our life by saying, you're right. That's tough to sell to the world, isn't it? In order for us to tell the world, this is why we should obey God. In our modern culture, we have to prove to them that, that it's going to be what's best for them. I can't always prove that to somebody. Because we're not on God's level. But I trust him. And I know he loves me. And the more you grow with him, the more you begin to see why he said what he said. But it starts with obedience and that understanding comes later. That really isn't anything of what we're going to be talking about tonight. But let's lay that as a foundation. All right? 1 Peter 4, as in the rest of 1 Peter, has been preparing the church because the, the, the group that he writes to, if you want to skip back to the beginning of the letter, he's writing to people on the fringes of the empire. 
He's not writing to Jerusalem. He's not writing to Rome. He's writing to those on the fringes of the empire. And if you study history, some of these places were the first to be hit with some real persecution. There's a famous letter um, that was written to the emperor Trajan by a governor of one of these provinces on the edge of the empire. And he wrote this letter and he said, I've got these Christians, they're weird, what do I do with them? And at this point in church history, Rome hadn't actively begun to persecute the church. The emperor writes back and says, get them in front of the court, give them a chance to say, oops, I was wrong. If he says, oops, I was wrong, let him go. If he continues to argue with you and claim this Jesus, kill him. But at that point, Rome wasn't even doing that. But these are the letters that the governors are starting to take this action in these provinces because they can. And so these these, uh, churches that Peter is writing to, he's writing to a group of people that are saying, why is this happening to us? Did we do something wrong? Did we make God mad? (laughs) Why is this happening to us? And he's writing to tell them, you didn't do anything wrong. Jesus went through this. And he said, if we were going to hang with him, we'd go through this too. Because they're asking themselves, like, is this a sign of God's anger towards me? Peter's saying, no, it's not. Look, we just need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus said, if they hate me, they'll hate you. Uh, That's not a fun thing to think about. But we're going to see today that it's well worth it for you to identify with Christ. In, in, In the times where it's not convenient, Because in the times where it's not convenient to identify with Christ, you're looking ahead to the time where you're also going to share in His glory. You know, and there's going to be a day where every knee will bow. And it's going to be a wonderful day when you get to stand up and say, I stuck with Him when it wasn't convenient to stick with Him. And now He's letting me stand with Him when when all the glory is here. and, And when He's being exalted for who He is, I get to rejoice with Him. I didn't deny His name and He's not denying mine. That's a big deal. 1 Peter 4, and we're going to skip in to probably verse 11 here. No, I'm sorry, verse 12. We finished on verse 11 last, last time. He said, Beloved, you notice how he starts that paragraph? Reminding you who you are. Remember, there are a lot of believers, even today, that when stuff starts happening to them, they think they did something bad to deserve it. And he's starting it right off. Guys, God loves you. You're beloved. You're beloved by the Lord and you're beloved by me. He says, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Literally in the Greek, it just says, don't be, discur- don't be surprised at the burning. Don't be, dis- don't be surprised when things get hot. He says this, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. So people are asking, why is this happening? Now, who's testing them? Somebody say, well, God's testing them. Or somebody's saying, well, the devil's testing them. Or somebody's saying the world's testing them. I think back to when Peter was tested. It wasn't God trying to prove something. It was Satan trying to dislodge him. It says Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. Surely God knows your heart. But there will be a testing to prove you are who you are. It's not God that has to figure out who you are. There is an enemy that thinks if he rattles you hard enough, you'll prove to be a fake. He thinks if he rattles you hard enough, you'll run away. He thinks if he rattles you hard enough, you'll give up. Your God knows you better than this, doesn't he? The Lord doesn't need to prove anything through you. But here's what the scripture says, and we read it at the beginning of this letter. Your faith, which is more precious than gold, even though everything else is tested by fire, your faith will be proven to be real at the end of all this. What's being tested is your faith. That's what Satan was testing with Peter. If I rattle him, if I hurt him, if I even bring him to the point of denying Jesus, will he fall away? And Jesus said, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. See, that's what's, that's what's being tested. It's not you, it's not your willpower, because who had more willpower than Peter? Right? Come on, guys, this is the stubborn of the stubborn. Peter had willpower. Willpower won't save you. Willpower won't make you stand. 
What's going to make you stand when things are pressing and, 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 and things are falling and the heat gets turned up? What's going to make you stand is that faith that God put inside of you. It's not faith that you conjured up. It's not faith that you figured out. It's what God put inside of you. He knows it'll stand. He knows it'll last. He knows it'll pass the test. I've told you this story. Some of you haven't heard how weird I was as a kid. And my mom is nice enough not to tell you how weird I was. But there were moments of weirdness. She didn't know about this until much later when I started to tell people from the pulpit. I would sit in my room, and some of you heard me say this. I would sit in my room with pliers, trying to see how much I could take if I put the pliers on my knuckles and just squeezed. Now, I was not a masochistic kid. I did not like pain. Don't get a weird idea about me. I did not enjoy pain. But I thought to myself, because I was reading all these missionary books, missionaries were my heroes. I was reading these missionary books, and I also had a little book of Fox's Book of Martyrs. These were my heroes, all right? This is my, re- this is my reading. You can make your judgments as you want, but this was what I was reading as a kid. <laughs> Some pretty rough stuff happened to these guys. Now, here's, here was my conversation. Please remember I was a kid, okay? Have some grace for me. My conversation in, to myself as a kid was, it would be easy if I was just killed quickly. I'm willing to give my life for Jesus. Am I willing to be tortured for Jesus? Because what I was afraid of was that they would make me feel some pain and say, now do you deny him? And I wanted to make sure I would never. So I put myself through these practices of just enduring pain. I can, I, I can last 10 seconds. I can last 15. And I would just go through this. <laughs> and it took me way too long to figure out it wasn't my willpower or my pain tolerance that would ever save me if I ever, if I ever came to that test. I don't know if I will. But if I ever came, if I ever came the moment where that happened to me, it would not be my willpower or my tolerance. It would be my faith. It would be God who kept me in that time. Unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And I've read stories of Christians who have faced that exact test and they spoke of a supernatural peace that came over them. They spoke of a supernatural strength that came in them in that moment. And they didn't know why they felt what they felt, but at that moment, they knew they would never deny Jesus. Do you know what that is? That's, that's him coming with you and saying, you're willing to share in my suffering? I'm going to share with you. I'm stepping in. Paul said at his trial, the Lord stood with him. Right. Stephen, when he was being stoned to death, all of a sudden opened up his eyes and saw the heavens open up. Rocks are still being thrown at his head, and he's looking up at the sky saying, I see Jesus. And I'm sure people said, you're hallucinating. You got hit in the head too many times. But all of a sudden, I don't know if he felt pain anymore. I don't know what he felt. I just know he looked up at the sky and he couldn't care less about what they were throwing at him. He looked up at the sky and he saw the heavens open up and he saw the Savior and he was happy. Don't be surprised when the heat gets turned up. Don't be surprised that there's persecution. Don't be surprised How do I know he's talking about persecution and not just like headaches and stuff? Because we've read the rest of the letter. Remember he said, this is what's going to happen. People are going to People are going to do this. What do you do? You don't revile in return. You don't threaten in return. He says, as as they did this to Jesus, they'll try it on you. He says this, don't be surprised as though some strange thing were happening to you in verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Look at that. He says, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So the more they turn up the heat, the more you should be rejoicing. And it's not because you're masochistic. It's not because you have this weird, weird martyr complex. It's because you realize that I'm being identified with Jesus. That may not seem like a big comfort to you right now. But I guarantee it is a big deal. He says, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you were reviled for the name of Christ, you were blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You hear what he said? 
If you were reviled, if you were mistreated, if you are shamed because of your identification with Jesus, then you are blessed. Let me ask you something. What's bigger in your heart? What's bigger in your mind right now? The reviling or the blessing? What's heavier to you? Because what the apostle Paul said is he said, I know that I am sharing in the sufferings of Christ. But I know this. (laughs) I know this. That any bit of this suffering that we're going through right now is not worthy of being compared to the eternal weight of glory that this is producing. What he's saying is, I know people are mistreating me. I know I'm getting beaten up. I know I'm getting thrown in prison. I know my life is being threatened because I preach the name of Jesus. But do you guys realize how much glory is in store? And he says, this momentary momentary. It's going to be over. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison, which means, guys, you can't even hold the two up and say they compare. The weight of glory is so much greater. One's momentary, right? The other, he says, is eternal. One's light. The other is heavy, the weight of glory. He says, they're not even worthy of being compared. But if it helps you, compare the two. That's incredibly, incredibly satisfying. Guys, when we talk about this suffering for Jesus, he's, next time you get a headache, don't say I'm suffering for Jesus. <laughs> Jesus wants to heal your headache. This is people doing things to them. Persecution is happening. Who brings persecution? I'll tell you, Jesus told us when he told the parable of the sower, he said that Satan brings persecution to what? To kill the word. Steal it from you. That's the reason persecution arises is to take the word from your heart. It's not God doing it to you. And guys, we have to be very clear about what the sufferings of Christ are. The sufferings of Christ, there are certain things that you don't have to bear because Jesus said, I'm that, I'm your healer, I'm your provider. And there may be times where you're fighting a physical battle. Fight. Know that he's your healer. There's going to be times where the where your money seems tight. What did the Apostle Paul said? I know the secret. When I have a little and when I have a lot, I know the secret. I know it. Here's the secret. My secret is to know that he is is in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the secret. I know that I can do all things through Christ, that he's with me, and that he's my provider. Listen, so what are the sufferings of Christ? That is when you're identifying with Christ, and you're bearing all the junk that comes with it. You want to know what the sufferings of Christ were? Let me just, let me just, can I just make it real simple? Sufferings of Christ are the same thing that Jesus had to deal with. Is that simple? Jesus had to deal with rejection from people. Jesus had to deal with being misunderstood. Jesus had to deal with people physically abusing him, verbally abusing him, threatening him. All of these things Jesus had to deal with being tempted. All of these things Jesus dealt with. He says, people will do the same thing to you. They'll try the same thing on you. But just know this, that he's with you. And there's not a thing that can steal the word from your heart if you don't let it. And there's not a thing that can destroy the faith that God put in you. Your faith, he said at the beginning of the letter, which is more valuable than gold, even when the heat's turned up and the fire's burning everything else away, your faith is more precious than gold. It will stand the test. Look what he says here. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, that's important. Reviled for the name of Christ. Don't you know there are people right now, there are, quote, Christians, unquote, who are being reviled, and they say they're being reviled for the name of Christ, but the reason they're being reviled is because they're very, very hateful people. Listen, you want to go and, 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 and show up with signs at somebody's funeral, and, and, and the signs are written how much God hates them? You're not being reviled for Christ's sake. You're being reviled for your own sake. That's my opinion, but I think there's scripture to back it up. (laughs) If your message doesn't match up with Jesus' message, 
You can say people hate me because they hated Jesus, but people might just hate you because of you. That's a tough one to swallow. But that's not your issue tonight. I, I don't think there's anybody in the room that would identify with that. You, but you know what it's like for somebody to ostracize you, push you to the edges, push you to the fringes because you believe what you believe. You know what it's like for people to say things behind your back because of who you are and because of what you believe. You know what it's like for people to not believe, you know that smile, Logan? It's fake. I know it's fake. Because they can't possibly imagine that it could be real all the time. You smile too much, Logan. It's got to be fake. You're a phony. Instead of understanding that that joy comes from the Lord, that love comes from Him, you're not faking your affection. You're not faking your love. You know what it's like for somebody to strike up a conversation with you. I know what it's like. Guys, I'll tell you the truth. There's plenty of times. There was times in my own elevator going up to the top floor. We only have four floors, but those four floors can seem really slow if you're with the right person. I should say the wrong person. <laughs> going to the fourth floor seems quick, but it can seem real slow in the right circumstance. I remember at the bottom floor getting in a great conversation with somebody, and then they asked me what I did, and I said, I'm a pastor. And, and, and the silence that descended upon that elevator... As we went to the top, thank God I had more interactions. I, I remember the, one of the guys, and Tia is not here right now, but she'd be able to tell you, there was a guy that I just thought, he's my project, man. I mean, this guy, when you live in a condo, there's lots of projects, you know? And I remember this guy knocking on my door, of all things, to borrow Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't even bring it up. And he's talking about borrowing Wi-Fi. And then he starts talking about his spiritual life. And he says, I've started, I've got some questions about God. I want to sit down. I want to come to your house and have coffee. And all of this is coming out. All of a sudden, he's talking about Jesus. And it wasn't that conversation that got him there. It was a series of interactions where I thought we were on totally different pages. And we were. But the Holy Spirit was working on that man. It's worth it to be identified with Christ even when it seems inconvenient. Now, that was a minor thing. An awkward elevator ride's nothing. But you, you, some of you have dealt with more. You've been dealt with ostracization at work. You've dealt with friends that, that left you. You've dealt with family that disowned you. I'll tell you, though, it's worth it. Look what he says here. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but he's to glorify God in this name. Let's put some context to that. The government has now gotten involved. I'm talking about when this letter is written. The government has gotten involved in the persecution of the church. So now people are being put on trial and treated as public enemies. It's bad for, the, bad for society. And what he's saying is, guys... Make sure they don't put you on trial for something real. Make sure you're, he said it earlier in the letter, make sure your behavior is excellent. Make sure you, you've got your, your I's dotted, your T's crossed. Make sure you're not giving them a real reason. He says, listen, if you're being reviled for the name of Jesus, you're blessed. You'll, you'll have something to rejoice about. But hey, you can't just get thrown in prison because you stole something and claim you're being reviled for the name of Jesus. He says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. What name? The name of a Christian. Did you know that the name Christian was first used by the enemies of the church? It was in Ephesus that people, are, you know, was it Ephesus or Antioch? My, Antioch, yeah. It's in Antioch where they first started calling them Christians, and it wasn't always their friends that were calling them this. But they embraced that name. They said, hey, that's the best insult we've heard in a while. We like that. <laughs> he says, if you're suffering because of your identification with Christ, because that name you bear, Christian, he says this, don't be ashamed of it. Glorify God in this name. Glorify God. Wear his name proudly. For it is time to, for judgment to begin with the household of God. 
If it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God. Now, how do you suffer according to the will of God? You do it like Jesus did it. You keep that attitude. That, that way you're, you're doing this according to the will of God. When we're talking about suffering here, we're not talking about the pain. We're talking about the endurance through the pain, through the, through the persecution, through the rejection that you keep going. And I'm doing it according to the will of God. Then he says this, entrust your souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. That harkens back to what he said earlier in the letter when he said Jesus was being threatened reviled, but he didn't throw that back at anybody. Instead, he entrusted his soul to a judge who judges righteously. Here's the deal. There's not a thing anyone can do to you that can really rob you of what's precious in your life. They might take what they think is precious. Even throughout history, even up to somebody's own life, but that life, remember what, remember what the book of Revelation says about those martyrs clothed in white, They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. Somebody tell me, it doesn't look like they overcame anybody. They died. We have a different definition of overcoming. We have an eternity. We don't die. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And what? They did not love their lives, even unto death. See, they love something a lot more than they love their own lives. So when what was taken from them was what the world thought was what was most precious. What's most precious to all of us is our, our family, our friends, our maybe to some their possessions, but surely your own life. What, what puzzled the persecutors, what puzzled the nations was how these Christians did not even seem to care. I mean, they cared, sure they cared, but they weren't rattled by it. I mean, come on, guys, give it up. It's not making you any money. It's not the scam. It's not working. (laughs) You're being burned alive for this. Give it up. They went proudly to their death. What's wrong with you people? Are you insane? Maybe we are. Remember the first apostles said something like this. We can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. You want me to deny that I saw Jesus after he rose from the dead and I touched his hands? I saw him. I can't deny that. I don't care what you threaten me with. I know what I saw. (laughs) You know, that proved the resurrection of more people than any archaeological evidence ever would. That these guys were willing, that, that you couldn't get them to change their story, no matter what you threatened them with, because they saw what they saw. They knew who they knew. And they wouldn't go back on it. And there's a story in the book of Acts where they're beaten and they're threatened. All of them are rounded up, beaten, flogged, and threatened. They were going to be put to death. But Gamaliel, one of the wise men, the the apostle Paul's original tutor, Gamaliel stands up in front of the rest of them and says, Hey guys, we we don't know what we're doing here. (laughs) If this is of God, we don't want to oppose it. If it's not of God, it'll go away. So let's just leave them alone and see what happens. They listened to Gamaliel's advice. Their idea of listening to his advice was to whip them and send them away. I don't know if I want that guy arguing for me, you know. (laughs) Listen, guys, he's innocent. It's a lot like Pontius Pilate too, right? He's innocent, so I'll whip him. Will that make you happy? They listened to Gamaliel. They whipped these guys. They beat them, and then they sent them away. And instead of the apostles walking away going, man... This stinks, guys. We should go somewhere where we're more appreciated. We should start our own colony where we make the rules. They walked away, and it says they were rejoicing because they were counted worthy to be identified with the name of Jesus, to bear the shame of Jesus. That's what it says. He counted us worthy to be mentioned in the same sentence as him. I'm pretty happy. Guys, we used to be <laughs> like we used to get beat up for other things. <laughs> we're getting beat up because somebody says you're you're with Jesus. Hey, we're honored. And that's what Peter's saying. He says, guys, 
Don't, don't let them drag you in because you did something wrong. Keep your, keep your actions right so that they'll glorify God, so that, so that they'll see that you didn't do anything wrong. It's interesting, the word martyr just means witness. We see that word first pop up in the book of Acts when Stephen is killed. It says he was the first martyr. I find that interesting because there were several other witnesses. Peter was a witness. John was a witness. All those apostles were witnesses. And yet it says Stephen was the first martyr. That was a word they used to describe those that died for believing in Jesus. What about giving your life makes you a witness? It's not just the fact that you gave your life. It's how you gave your life. It's how you went to your death. It's the fact that these men and these women went to their death gladly, proudly, with rejoicing. And that witnessed more to the people that were around than, than any of their words ever did. Don't get me wrong, words are important. But somehow, the way they identified with Jesus spoke to everybody. I want to read you something in the book of Philippians. Some of you will be familiar with this verse. Before I do that, let's address an issue that you might have encountered as you read this. It's, the verse says it's time for judgment to begin. What does that mean? Does that mean what's happening to us is God's judgment? Well, I'll tell you why that doesn't quite line up. Because he just said throughout this letter, you're suffering for doing what is right. If it was God's judgment, you wouldn't suffer for what was right. Am I correct in saying that? God is a righteous judge. He judges evil. He judges righteous and he delivers the righteous. He punishes the evil. That's, that's righteous judgment, right? Thank God Jesus came along and bore the wrath of God on our behalf or we'd all be dead. But let me ask you a question. Is what the church has experienced in, in, that Peter describes in this letter, is it the judgment of God? If it was the judgment of God that they were suffering persecution, he wouldn't have said, you're suffering for doing what's right. He would have said, you're getting what you deserve because you made some mistakes. What is the judgment referring to then? Because we know it is God's judgment. What's God's judgment have to do with this whole thing? Well, he tells you. He tells you very clearly. He's, he's, look at the context of it. He's just finished telling you, don't suffer as a thief or a murderer or a meddlesome. You know, he says, says don't. We, 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 first of all, the church needs to get our act together. We need to get our house in order before anybody else does because things are getting real here. So, fellas, keep your behavior excellent amongst the Gentiles. Judgment. We need judgment to start here. Let's get, our, let's get our life in line with the Word of God. Let's get our life in line with Jesus because things are coming to an end. They're coming to a hot point. Judgment's coming. We need to get our house in order. But he's not referring to persecution as God's judgment, like I said, or else the persecution would have come to the bad, not the good. He says, you're suffering for doing what's right. You're suffering for his name. That's not God's judgment. That's that same persecution that Jesus faced. That's that same persecution that the apostles faced. That's that same persecution. It's the enemy stealing. It's the world in rebellion. Why did Saul persecute the church in Jerusalem? Because he was kicking against the Holy Spirit. Can I just say something that might be encouraging to you and it might not be? Whenever the Holy Spirit begins to prod a generation, whenever he begins to poke a nation, there will be those that repent and those that kick. Sometimes when nations are stirred with the greatest persecution, underneath that is some of the greatest revival. And people will tell you, see, persecution produces revival. But they got it backwards. Yeah. It's not the persecution that's producing the revival. It's the fact that the Holy Spirit's been stirring hearts and people are kicking against it. If you'll look back in history, the persecution often arises after the revival begins. It's an attempt to put it down. Does it ever work? No. True Christianity flourishes in such conditions. It's not squashed, it thrives. But don't be that guy. Please don't be that guy that goes and prays for persecution. Don't cheer for the other team. Can we just say that? 
What does the Bible tell you to do? Pray for those in authority, pray for those in government that we might lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and dignity, right? That's praying against persecution. Do that. The enemy will do his own thing, all right? He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your prayers. <laughs> a house divided against itself will not stand, all right? Get on God's side on this. But don't worry when there's persecution. Don't think you did, don't think, oh, what have we done wrong? Sometimes, and most times, it's an example of what you did right. Am I going too far to suggest that when revival really hits Lloyd Minster, there'll be those that kick against it? Am I going too far to say that? I'm not saying, boy, I can't wait. I can't wait for revival. I can't say I'm looking forward to any sort of backlash, but let's, just like Peter said, don't be surprised when it happens. Don't be surprised. Hey, have you ever noticed, some of you are in the room tonight who lived a very good traditional religious life. Then you got turned on to Jesus and you went a little too far for your family. Anybody here? (laughs) You were religious before, but your relationship with Jesus wasn't what it is. And people were comfortable with your religion. But the minute you sold out to Jesus, they got real uncomfortable real fast. You were, the, you were weird, you were a cult, you were, you were, you know, you were a problem. Right? right? Can I tell you, Canada is pretty comfortable with religion. What they won't be comfortable with is a bunch of people sold out to Jesus who are seeking his kingdom. That will make people uncomfortable. It's already making people uncomfortable. That's okay. That's okay. Let's pray for them, that their hearts are melted, that their hearts turn. And if they're a Saul of Tarsus who takes a while kicking, let's pray that they get knocked on the ground and come to their senses. Here's what it says in Philippians. Philippians says this, Philippians 1. Verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Does that remind anybody of what we read in Peter about don't be, you know, keep your behavior excellent earlier in the letter. And then later he says, if they're going to throw you in jail, don't let it be because you did something wrong. Let it be because you did something right. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents. Does that remind you of what Peter said? Don't be surprised. In no way, no way alarmed by your opponents. Some of us are alarmed, but we have opponents. We haven't done, I mean, sometimes you go through most of your life without doing anything dramatic enough to have opponents. The only people that really have opponents are the people that are actually doing something. You can go through your life and just be Mr. Neutral, Miss Passive, and you'll never have an opponent, and you'll never have anybody that really, really doesn't like you because you've never ruffled any feathers. You've never done anything. But the minute you start standing for something, you'll have people that are a, a bit bothered by it. Don't be alarmed by your, in any way by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted. Oh, I love when verses start for you, it's been granted. God granted me something. What did he grant me? Uh-oh. For Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. Hey, I'll, you could take that gift back. Um, I like when you said you've granted me everything pertaining to life and godliness. I like that one. For to you it has been granted, not only to believe, but to suffer for his sake. Oh, man. Hey. Buck up. Look what it says. Verse 30. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. I want you to know, and he said several other times throughout the Scripture, that when we share in this part of it, we get to share in the glory. He says, if you want to share in the glory of God, it says, you could, you, there'll be times where you have to share in the suffering, but it is far 
far outweighed by the glory of God. Why is it important that we read this now? So many times when we read about the persecution of the church, it's either historical or it's geographical. It's on the other side of the world. I don't want you to think that just because nobody's holding a gun to your head that there is not pressure on you to conform to the world. There is pressure on you right now. There's pressure. Our culture uses shame like we've never seen it before. In fact, social media has become a big weapon of this too. They use shame and, and, and there's, there, I remember one girl who made a bad joke on Twitter, got on a plane to South Africa. By the time she got off the plane, she had thousands of people calling for her job, calling for her head, and she lost her job. She lost her life almost, like not in our physical life, but everybody turned against her because of one joke she made on Twitter. Now, she wasn't a believer, but you could see the power of a culture using shame. And in our society, sometimes the threat of being shamed, of being pushed to the fringes, of being judged to be an extremist is worse to some than physical suffering. Because we, we, we don't want to be put to the edge of society. We want to fit. We want to we feel like we have something to say that somebody will listen to. We might not want to go to that church that everybody in the city says... You go to that church? Ugh. We might not want to identify with those people. But when we identify with Christ, there'll be those that don't like it. But you're identifying with Him. Rejoice, He says. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Because you are being counted worthy of being identified with Jesus. Friends, it's time for judgment to come to the church. We need to first get our own house in order. Let's, let's, let's make our lives worthy of the gospel. It was a Greek philosopher, not even a believer, that said this. He said, if people are going to slander you, live such a life that no one would believe it. Peter says it better. He says, if they slander you, and they will slander you, he says, keep your behavior excellent so that when they slander you, they will glorify God in the day of visitation. They'll slander you. But if you keep your life, keep your, keep your actions, your attitude, your words. Now, I know we all trip, but get back up. Repent, get back up. You keep your actions in line with Jesus Christ. You represent him to the world. Then when you are put under that pressure, when, when you deal with that rejection by men, then there will be a day when they look back and they say, I saw their life, and they'll glorify God. Your life will be a witness to many. I believe that. We can read this letter and say, well, yeah, it's a good historical fact. They were persecuted. But I think you need to read this letter and apply it to your life right now. Am I willing to be identified with Jesus, even when it's not popular to be identified with Jesus? Am I willing to be identified with Jesus on the rigs? Am I willing to be identified with Jesus on the work cruise? Am I willing to be identified with Jesus in places where Jesus is not popular? Say yes, deal with it, and then share in his glory, guys. He says, uh, you know what? If you confess my name before people, I'll confess your name before the Father. Listen to that. Isn't that a good privilege? Yes. You brag about me to people, I'll brag about you to God. That's a big deal. I think once, like Kim said earlier, we're getting a good end of the trade here. Let's keep our hearts just, let's make Jesus bigger in our hearts than people. His, his opinion bigger than everybody else. Let's fear the Lord and not fear people. Because fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. You want to understand life? Start by putting him before, above all things. Life will make sense. I say this because I love you greatly. I say this because I, I love Jesus. And I say this because I know that the church in Lloyd Minster is primed for a great move of God. We're on the edge of something, guys. If you haven't noticed, the city is groaning. 
The city is bursting at the seams. The city is ready for a great move of God. We're going to need to be ready for it, not just ready for the glory of it, but ready for those that don't like it and still love them and still, and still move forward and not be moved off it. Don't be shocked when somebody doesn't like it. Say, hey, we're feeding the poor. We're clothing the naked. We're doing all these things. Why don't you like us? They won't give you a good answer, guys. They don't know why. We know why. Because they're being poked by the Holy Spirit and they're kicking against it and they don't like it. But they'll glorify God one day. I pray they glorify God before it's too late. Your job is to preach. Your job is to demonstrate. Your job is to love. Let God sort it out. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let judgment begin here. Let's let God get our house in order before we try to get the world in order. How about that? (laughs) Don't be so worried about the world being the world. The world will always act like the world. Why are we surprised that people that don't know God, don't love God, don't act like Him? Why are we so surprised that they break his laws? That's what they are. That's what they do. I'm less worried about the world being the world, and I'm more concerned with the church being the church. Let's be his body. Let's let God work through that. I'm, amen. I'm so excited about Lloyd. I'm excited about Canada. I know that we're, we're, things are stirring right now, even beneath the surface. Listen, if you can make a stand right now, right where you are, make a stand. And remember these words that we just read, the next time it becomes inconvenient for you to say, this is where I was on Sunday. This is why I need time off on Sunday morning. Or this is why I've been, you know, the next time you're asked and you say, it'd be inconvenient for me to tell them the whole truth. Bear his name proudly. One more thing. The Apostle Paul said this, "Don't, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Then he tags this on the end. Or of me, his ambassador, his servant who was in chains. Sometimes we can, we can identify with Jesus, but our, our loophole is we, we push ourselves as far away from the church as we can. And we let them take the blame. If we are to identify with Jesus, we can't be ashamed of Jesus, but we can't, also we can't be ashamed of his servants and those that are taking the hits. There are those that stand on the front line for us and preach the gospel that are taking the hits. And sometimes it's easier to distance yourself from these people because there's books written about them and they get on the news. I'm not talking about those airheads. They get get up on the uh, cable news and just spew hate. I'm talking about real people, real preachers of the gospel. It's easy to let them go, cut them adrift. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of them. Don't be ashamed of your leaders. Don't be ashamed of your brothers and sisters. Maybe you have one of those weird brothers that goes into, goes into the grocery store and starts leading people to the Lord and somebody says, don't you think that's a bit radical? Don't be ashamed of them either. Defend your brothers. Defend your sisters. Defend the gospel. When I say defend the gospel, it's not your job to protect it. It's just your job to preach it. Live it out. Amen. Stand up with me.